Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and you are very welcome along to the Unpopular Opinion Podcast. My name is Jen. And my name is Carla. And um, today... We just went straight in now kissing. Today? Straight in now kissing. That's straight in now kissing. Um, that was amazing. Yeah, so we just did... Uh, well, we had a chat. I don't like saying interview because like, we're not... <laughs> we're, not <laughs> we're not interviewers. <laughs> we are definitely not interviewers. Um, with Connell from CBT Cognitive... He's a cognitive behavioural therapist, essentially. He works for the public service and he also has his own private practice and he's also on social media everything will be linked below but i've learned so much yeah Lo- so so much i'm just so like i love I, learning about why people do what they do i was like i wanted to google the whole time through yeah, it. do you yeah, get me yeah. i was like i'd actually love to be a listener because i'd be flat out googling i'd be like oh mm, yeah mm, interesting. So, yeah so stick around listen to our little chat with him see looking at yourself looking at your neighbor Looking at your family. Check on yourself. Check on yourself before you check on your mother. Check on your mother. Check on yourself. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you might uh, go. Oh yeah, that's why I'm such a fucking (laughs) lunatic. Yeah, that's why I'm such a blatant broyer. Yeah, yeah. Um, No, it's actually it's really interesting, and it's just even if like you're not affected by mental health, or I I don't think anybody who doesn't, I don't think anybody doesn't know somebody who isn't. But um, it, it I I found. It was just, it's just a good way to educate yourself. And we did speak about when he, when we were finishing up, when we were wrapping up, we stopped recording. He specializes in perinatal, like mental health and Mm -hmm. some of the, the toxic things that some of us may have gone through when we were younger and how that kind of reverberates around into your life of when you become a parent and stuff like that. So we are going to have him back in around November, just before I have baby and talk specifically about that so if you've any kind of if anything things, you want us to ask them or yeah exactly let us know on the instagram that'll be linked in the, the usual link list below as well uh but for now just enjoy our chat with connell so we are here today we have a very special guest um that we've had booked in for a while um we finally got him here so that's <laughs> delighted with that so we have connell from cognitive underscore connell from instagram so i'm actually not going to introduce you i think you'll do a much better job of that yourself so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself yeah sure so um connell is my name as you said um and i work as a cognitive behavioral therapist and i suppose my my background is um, cognitive behavioral therapy and psychiatric nursing and at the moment I'm doing a doctorate studying anxiety disorders and OCD um, in the perinatal period which is for women who are pregnant and new mummies. Wow. Oh, there you go. Well, there now. you go now, Jen. Uh, I'm, I'm your demographic there, Con. <laughs> <laughs> Should we all over it now? So what, I suppose, what first drew you into that field? As you said, you you've kind of been in it been doing many many studies over the years so what was it that initially drew you to it um i suppose i've always been interested in the way people think and why they do what they do um and i think that passion probably developed a little bit from my mom as well she's a child psychiatrist um so would have kind of motivated me to kind of think a little bit more about people and things and i think uh when i finished my degree i i wanted to pursue further study i didn't know what i wanted to do and the cbt seemed like something that was it, it just kind of made sense to me mm-hmm. Um, so I started my postgrad cert two weeks after I finished my degree and went into my diploma then the year afterwards. And then I think I, I worked in Trinity College for about a year and a half in the Department of Medicine doing research um, while in the psychology department in St. James's Hospital and the acute psychiatric unit and 
just kind of kept going into my master's then. And the more I studied, the more I fell in love with it. Amazing. So what is it that you do now on online? So you have your own website and you kind of have different, I suppose you've got different, um, what would you say, services? Would that be the word? Yeah, well, that's what kind of the main, like what does cognitive behavioral therapy include? Like if somebody was to be your client, what kind of, what happened, what's the process basically? Why would somebody come to see you? Uh, that's a very good question um, for lots of different reasons. I suppose that um, cognitive behavioural therapy or CBT is used to treat a whole range of mental health disorders um, and a lot of the research would support it in terms of treating anxiety disorders, depression, low mood, suicidal ideation, um, as well as obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, trauma and a few other disorders. So the I, I would see people in my clinic, uh, in the public service and in my private practice with a whole range of kind of clinical severity. So in, 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 in the public practice, I'd see more moderate to severe clients. Um, and then it, it's, it's a complete mix then in, in private practice. Uh, Interesting. And what would be, I suppose there's something like it's such a big, I remember the first time I ever heard about CBT was when I did my, my one year of psychology before I dropped out. <laughs> so I remember it was, it was something that was super interesting because it's obviously why, why do people do the things that mm-hmm. they do? Mm-hmm. And there's like that range is all the way from, you know, sociopaths, psychopaths, all that other stuff down to why, you know, quote unquote people that would be, would wouldn't have any I suppose mental health issues mm-hmm. why are they why do they function the way that they are and something else on top of that and this you can correct me about this I've heard nowadays they're kind of trying to we're trying to steer away from bipolar um kind of naming specific mental illnesses right mm-hmm. so is that true <laughs> Uh, yeah, yes and no. Mm-hmm. I, I, I suppose that there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between what happens in the world of social media and what happens in the kind of research yeah. practical world, if you know what I mean. And so like, th- th- there's moves to tr- try and reduce labeling to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but the system is kind of rigged against you. So like a, a good example is if you look at children. So if a child is kind of neurodivergent, so falls into the ADHD or the autistic spectrum, in order for you to get help from the services that the government provide, you must have a diagnosis that's given to you by a medical professional. So to to move away from diagnoses would mean that you're not getting access to those services. Do you know what I mean? So services are designed and in order for you to access them, you must be kind of, you know, uh, I'm using inverted commas here, but labeled correctly or diagnosed correctly. So you have to meet a certain criteria in order to access those services. So I think it's a very difficult thing to move away from Mm. diagnostic labels. And And I also think that there's a certain amount of language that's used today on social media that medicalizes normal problems. So you'll often hear people say, oh, that's my OCD or I'm so anxious right now. And you kind of think you're you're not anxious because anxious is an actual clinical condition that impacts the quality of your life where you're struggling to go to work, you're struggling to sleep, you're struggling to eat, your sex drive is down. There's lots of other factors that are kind of complicating your life. Um, And then I I saw the other day a term called errand paralysis um, was mentioned on TV. And, you know, that's just being overwhelmed. Do you know what I mean? It's like you've too much on and you're not able to problem solve it. So you become overwhelmed by anxiety. But there's these these kind of attempts to kind of name them with trendy names, which is seriously problematic because it doesn't really mean anything. I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, because that was going to be my next, um, that was going to be my next question to you because there's somebody that I follow on TikTok and I find him very helpful. His name's Therapy Jeff. Mm -hmm. But what he's very good at is kind of explaining what is, a buzzword at the moment versus something that's actually a condition mm-hmm. or something that you should be worried about. Cause I think nowadays, I mean, something that, something that I feel like has slipped, there's a couple of words that I feel like have really slipped into everyday language, everyday language. Mm-hmm. Everyone seems to be a narcissist. Yes. Everyone. <laughs> and like, I, I, I'm, and I can't remember much, but I'm pretty like being a true narcissist. That's a very rare sinister thing. And it's out. quite sinister. Yeah. So, I find that wild. Like everyone's ex-boyfriend seems to be a narcissist. (laughs) Everyone's boss that they haven't gotten along with seems to be a narcissist. I find that very, very difficult. I'm like, no, there's like... It's gone really common these days. (laughs) Jesus. Everyone seems to be a narcissist nowadays. Um, Gaslighting. Oh my God. Can we talk about that term for a minute? We can. We absolutely can. 
Um, I, I completely agree with you on, on, on the narcissist and people yeah. kind of using language, though, that's kind of not befitting. And I, I think, I, again, it's the same thing that if you meet someone who's a little bit odd and there's a kind of general conclusion that they're a little bit odd, they kind of say, oh, they must be on the autistic spectrum. Yeah. Uh, w- without really understanding what it is that makes the autistic spectrum, you know, and so the same thing could be said for narcissism. Like there are certain traits that exist within narcissism. So kind of like being self-absorbed, being manipulative, being able to kind of use people kind of thinking longer term, lack of remorse, uh, lack of empathy, lack of guilt. Like, and, and you might meet someone who has a lack of guilt. So like, say you're my girlfriend and I cheat on you and I show a lack of guilt or lack of remorse about it. That's not necessarily that I'm a narcissist. Mm. Maybe I'm just completely done with you and that's my way of exiting the relationship. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? But that doesn't necessarily, like you can display narcissistic behaviors yeah. without being narcissistic. The same way you can display anxious behaviors without having clinical anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. because there is a lot of stuff thrown around and like for years we've heard of people saying, oh, that's my OCD. I'm just, I have OCD mm-hmm. about that. That's why like... I, I I don't know fold me tells a certain way you know like and it's it, yeah. it, it's really a kind of um it, it negates from the severity of actual clinical OCD where people are, are paralyzed with fear that the whole world is going to end if they don't do certain things in a certain and I know yeah. that's a very general understanding of OCD because obviously there's probably loads of different branches off of it it's actually not you're actually spot on in that you can take over my practice now. <laughs> yeah. um, no but do you need do you need an assistant <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the, the way that ocd works is that you know people have intrusive thoughts that come into their head which are obsessions and those obsessions are what are called ego dystonic so they're kind of like morally disgusting to the person and and they believe that it because they've thought about it, it's going to happen. And if they don't, st- if they don't do something to stop it from happening, they're responsible for it. And so there's a huge link between responsibility, guilt, shame, which feeds into anxiety and OCD. So, like a very common one in the perinatal population is women have um, what are called in- intrusive related harm thoughts around hurting their baby or dropping their baby. That's a really common one. And because and they so for example a really common occurrence is I'm walking I'm a new mum I'm walking down the stairs with my baby and I have an intrusive image of me dropping the baby, and the images of the baby being really injured. Well, because I've had that thought, I think it's more likely to happen. And if it's more likely to happen, then I should do something to prevent it. So I stop carrying the baby down the stairs to prevent a catastrophe from happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like the whole process. You interrupt yourself before you can even. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Start but, and the, and the difficulty is is that there's no actual evidence you're ever going to drop the baby down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a thought that you have. And so basically there's a kind of cognitive distortion that occurs in OCD where people think about certain things. They think that their thoughts impact real the real world. So if I think about it happening, it's more than likely going to happen. And what I say to people is, well, if that's the case for bad things, it should happen for good things. So how long do you need to think about the winning lotto numbers before you win the lotto? Do you know what I mean? It doesn't, like your thoughts won't impact the real world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose, I think, and this is something that I want to talk about, obviously what you study is research. It's like, it's years and years and years of people like putting, actually going into it, studying it, understanding what it is. I feel like Mm. social media can be good and bad for these things. Because as we've said already, there is, and I kind of say this all the time, but we'll talk a little bit about it in in a bit about, I always think that there's actual anxiety and then social media anxiety. And I think they're very two, two very different things, but I understand why people feel that kind of way but what do you think overall for mental health I think social media has been a positive thing but I'd like to know what you think about that statement that was a very sweeping statement (laughs) (laughs) um I I I don't I don't disagree with you and I think that a lot of the research would would support what you're saying but again like any sweeping statement needs to be kind of broken down to look at what the groups affected are. Um, And so a lot of the research that looks at kind of social media uses looks at it in specific demographics, mainly by age. So the younger you start using social media, the far more harmful it is for you. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of supported in the research. There's a book called iGen written by Jean Twenge. And it looked at the use of the iPhone when Facebook came out in the iPhone around 2009. And they looked at self-harm presentations to A&E across the states from when Facebook was introduced. And 
they actually saw an increase in younger girls self-harming and needing to be brought to A&E as a result of using social media. And one of the reasons that it is with that it's kind of higher with, um, I don't know if tween is the right word, but that kind of age group yeah. between kind of 11 to 14, 15 is because you, you don't really have a sense of self. Um, like you're not really sure who you are, where you're going, and you're far more influenced by your peers than you are at, say, like 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you're far more you know, integrated into your social world. Like for me, I, I, I'm kind of in, in my 30s. So like I see my friends, you know, a couple of times a month, whereas, you know, if you're in them, um, if, if you're 11 or 12, you're seeing them every day. So they have much more of an impact on your world. They're far mm-hmm. bigger to you. And so when you look on social media, you're constantly comparing yourself to these people. And also one of the difficulties is that if you're having a hard time in the real world, that can now follow you home on social media. Yeah. Um, where when I was in school, like there was no like when I was in primary school and early secondary school, there was no social media. Like if you were being bullied, it stopped at the school gates. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas now they can still get to you. Um, so I think that's extremely harmful. But but like anything, it, it's how it's used. Um, and I think a lot of people use social media as a bit of a scapegoat r- rather than looking at maybe sometimes the, 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 the quality of parenting or the supports in the school or the difficulties the child is facing or other social problems that might exist. Mm, I think that's is. so yeah yeah it's actually it, it is blamed quite a lot whereas realistically it's people at the back of this yeah like it's the it's behaviors like the, of, the people who use it it's not yeah. the actual app itself yeah. I yeah. understand accessibility is a massive issue and I'd be the same I always think I couldn't be a child nowadays like I couldn't oh no geez I feel so bad for them because it's so much harder than it was mm. because no matter what and I think there was also socially for them I think there was a breakup like I know that I'd go to school I'd come home from school I'd see my siblings or the kids on the road mm-hmm. you know those that would be who you'd see and your parents and then same same idea until it came to the weekend and you might have a totally different group of friends that you'd hang out through clubs or through sports or through something over the weekends and then you come back into school so there was almost relief yeah. Particularly if you weren't getting on well in one of those situations. Maybe it was at your club, maybe it's in school, maybe it's your sibling that you're, you know, being terrorized by, but it's really affecting you. You know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. There was almost different periods of relief, whether it's now with a phone and with access to the internet, that doesn't really stop. And I and that's why I I was like, it is a really sweeping statement because I feel like Social media has connected people. It's definitely brought people together. It's definitely done good. It's definitely done a lot of good. But then there's all of this other stuff as well. And if I was to choose, I would absolutely choose the way that we grew up. Yeah. In the nineties and early two thousands versus the way that Gen Z, Gen Alpha have to grow up now. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's very apparent on like apps like TikTok and all that other stuff. But then I think each app represents something very different now. They represent like a cultural moment. I think the most toxic by far is Facebook. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. And then Instagram. And then I'd say TikTok is probably the least toxic platform. But then I know the comments on TikTok are a lot harsher. So it's mad. Yeah, but well, TikTok is far more addictive as well. You mm. see, because um, of, of the way that the the app is designed, it's ten to second, it's ten to fifteen second videos, which are usually kind of either educational, funny, grotesque, or you know they're very yeah. obviously titled. Do you know what I mean? So, so your brain is always stimulated to keep chasing them. And, and what they found is that the the younger you are, the harder the dopamine hit is. Um, so you're far more likely to become addicted from a young age and you'll use that to kind of regulate your mood. Do you know what I mean? Which is why people engage in doom scrolling because they're looking for j- just one more video, um, in adverted commas, to, to kind of, you know, satisfy that need. Um, I, I think as well, you know, growing up now with social media has certain perks. And I think, again, it, it's not about social media. It, as, as you pointed out, it, it's how we use it. Um, and I think there's a huge disconnect with the way that children are raised now in the way that their parents were raised that creates a disconnect in the relationship because parents have far less understanding of the world their child is growing up in. Mm. And for the first time probably ever in human civilization that the tech kind of industry has ushered in is that parents are more reliant on their children to help them now as mm. well, if you know what I mean, that like, you know, everyone's had that conversation with the mom that can't find the email yeah. that she's looking for, or you know what I mean, or can't get the app to work. And, you know, that, that's kind of shifted things a little bit as well. Um, but I, again, it, it's down to parents helping their child develop outside of the world of social media and taking a bit of responsibility for that too. Um, like it's very easy to put a screen in front of your child, but 
and, and, and I get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's all, you always go to a restaurant now, you see a child on the screen, and, and that's fine if the child is just kind of using the screen in that time because the parents want a bit of peace and quiet while they're out for a meal. But that's not really maybe the most acceptable or best way of managing your child's mood longer term because what do you do when there's no screen, when you're on holidays and the iPad dies? Uh, now you're in serious trouble. Yeah, it's a, it's a crutch rather than it actually being mm-hmm. something that can kind of help. Something that I think is really important that you've kind of you've skimmed on, but I want to talk about deeper is that, you know, you're going to teach, my dad taught me how to drive, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to teach people how to do things. There is no etiquette, I think, that is being taught about behaviours and how to behave on social media because no. I think the biggest issue... I think the biggest issue on social media is trolling yeah, by far. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's trolling in all different kind of shapes and forms. That's, you know, the typical Twitter man, shall we say, Twitter guy versus all the way down to like anonymous profiles on any social media app versus, you know, actual forums dedicated to discussing. actively and discussing yeah. um trolling kind of behaviors shall we say Mm -hmm. so I find it I find there's there's bigger issues because not only are you you know giving your kid the iPad you're also just saying you know whatever pops into your head go for it babe like that's that's you can post that (laughs) there is no repercussions but not only is it it's bad for it's like it's very harmful for kids and teenagers because they're not really learning about it obviously they're gonna you know get talks being like you know when it comes to bullying it's you teach your kids not to bully and you teach them mm-hmm. very kind of, you're quite stern with them saying, you know, this is how you act and you should never do that. Like I know one of my friends caught um, her teenager on Snapchat sending rude messages and she hit the roof and she was like, I didn't raise you that way. And since then she's really had to kind of like keep an eye on her and, and really kind of, I suppose, continue on that conversation to ensure mm-hmm. that she understands why it's such an issue. But I think that's, I think that's the problem. It's like, there is no, education there is no conversation around this so now you have full-grown adults who feel entitled to say what they want about who they want Mm. and how they want and I think that goes back to maybe what we were talking about a little bit earlier where I feel like there's anxiety and then there's a little Mm. bit of social media anxiety and particularly in this day and age where you have you know influencer culture you have celebrities that are now a lot more accessible because they have media profiles they're tweeting they're talking they're snapchatting they're instagramming they're kind of showing you a little bit more into their daily life Mm. there's that real accessibility that wasn't there before that people feel like they can kind of not only build build a parasocial relationship yes but do Mm. it either positively or negatively Mm. yeah um, yeah, so I think there's, there's, there's a couple of things in that. Like the, the first is say there's a few really good insights in what you're saying um, and, and that kind of parasocial relationship mm-hmm. piece. I, I, I think there's a, there's a certain kind of question that can be raised that like a person isn't bad, but people are. Do you know what I mean? In yeah. a sense that like you never get one person rioting on their own. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it takes a group because a group creates a certain level of anonymity where people can wear masks or hats to cover their face. And because they're covered, they're far more likely to do bad behavior because they think there's no consequences for it. Yeah. And I think that's a serious problem on social yeah. media with kind of fake bot accounts is that there's no accountability for it and there's no interna- there's no international jurisdiction. So you can basically say whatever you want to someone in the States and no one's going to do anything about it. Do you know what I mean? The, the other problem is that is, is the way that social media is developed to, to your point about etiquette or teaching people how to behave because social media is basically built on what's emotionally reactive. So if I put up a post and I say, you know, um, people with anxiety should never be treated for mental health. You know what I mean? Like that's an outrageous statement to make. And that's going to generate an awful lot of content online because people are going to comment, they're going to like it, they're going to share it with their friends because they want their friends to be as outraged as they are by it. Or you might get someone on the other side that completely agrees with me and wants their friends to agree with that as well. So they send it to them, right? And the more comments, the more likes, the more shares that generates, the more the algorithm thinks this is a good post, yeah. right? This is, a, this is good content for people to 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 consume. And the more that gets pushed up, the more my fame grows. And I kind of quickly realize, right, so the key to success on social media isn't actually to be kind of giving consistent, quote, good advice. It's to be giving consistent, conflicted, um, emotionally evocative uh, statements. And the more I do that, the bigger a following I get, the bigger the following I get, the more I can kind of scale an economy, the more I can sell products and the more I turn myself into a marketing machine. 
And so I, I think the problem with social media is that it rewards things that are controversial rather than rewards things that are actually kind of fairly stable and level-headed. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would think that's the biggest problem that underpins. It, it's not so much social media or people that use it. It's what behaviors social media rewards. Mm. Um, and, and so I, I think that there's a serious problem with that. And I also think there's a serious problem with the anonymity. And it's a pity there's not some kind of, know. you know, Instagram where you have to sign up with a passport, where you publish your name and your details and your date of birth and your address. Because I think people will be a lot more careful about what they say then. Um, you know, okay. Yeah, it baffles me that there's websites that allow, like the likes of Reddit and there's other like websites and stuff like that, that you can just be as anonymous as you want. And it just kind of, and even setting up a fake profile on something like Instagram, do you know what I mean? It like, takes it, a lot of effort. And that's, I think that's what it's, it takes effort to be horrible. Not, yeah. A lot. It takes a lot of effort to be horrible. Like it's but very purposeful. Yeah. But what yeah. is the reward? So this is, sorry, this is what, like, first of all, why do people, anonymously troll and I know troll is probably not the right word because trolling means a lot more that like you know, we'd be here all day but <laughs> yeah I think I, I think there's a difference between trolling and bullying yeah um, and just online abuse you know yeah. what I mean like when you say trolling I, I kind of think of someone messing with somebody do you know what I mean but it's yeah but I, I think that okay so so whenever you don't like somebody one way to kind of think about this is that they're kind of holding up um did either of you ever watch Harry Potter yeah yeah Okay, so do you remember that mirror in Harry Potter and Harry looks and he can see his wildest dreams and he feels really good about himself? Yeah. Okay, so whenever you meet somebody that you don't like, it's a little bit like looking in the opposite mirror in a sense that the mirror kind of shows you the worst parts of yourself and it activates a certain negative feeling about yourself. So for example, let, let, let's say that I'm a girl and I'm at home and I'm watching you guys with your podcast and it's growing success. And you know, you've really put yourself out there. You've made yourself vulnerable. You've opened yourself up to criticism. And, you know, you're, you're being extremely brave in what you're doing because, you know, whenever you do something new that go against the grain, people, you know, you're open to criticism. And so if I'm not happy in my life, I'm not happy where I'm going, I lack direction, I lack purpose, and I look at you two, like, you're basically holding up a mirror and I kind of see all that in myself. And I kind of think, you know, I'm, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not doing what I want to do, and look at these two, they're doing all that kind of stuff, and you know, they might get podcast deals or whatever, and they're going to be very happy and successful. Like, I'm very angry, bitter, and jealous with the two of you, but it's not because of you two. Yeah. Not specifically yeah. you two. Yeah. It's what they're activating in me. And I have to kind of try and internalize that, and it creates all these negative sensations. And a kind of a really great cathartic discharge for me is to go online and say, you know, these two, you know, X, you know, blah, 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 give you dog's abuse, and they kind of go, Oh, I feel a bit better. I've gotten that off my chest. But the problem is that as so so the it, kind of if you think about this in terms of a cycle, I see you guys I have a lot of negative thoughts about myself. I start to feel a negative emotion, sad, lonely, isolated, helpless, you know, hopeless. And then I kind of start to feel that in my body, maybe a lethargy or a heaviness or a tension or an angst. And so my behavior is I go online, create a fake profile and take and give you dogs abuse. Right. And short term, I kind of go, oh, God, I got that off my chest. I feel so much better. I call them X, Y and Z. That will teach them a lesson. And then long term, I come back on and I see your podcast following has grown by another thousand followers. Mm. I kind of think I'm still in the same position, but you are getting better, which perpetuates my negative thoughts. They get worse. So my need to take it out on you grows. And the more I engage in the bitterness and the kind of awful vitriol, the more I need to do it to keep going. And it becomes this kind of never ending pit that the more I fill it, the deeper it gets. And and that's why people get out of doing that. uh, That's that's the way I would kind of, I think, make sense of that. I'm glad you said it because I've always said I feel like, because I think, back before like I would have probably read some things online and just been like probably not happy in myself and just kind of like got entertainment from it wouldn't have engaged as such but like and definitely wouldn't have commented on anybody or messaged them or anything like that but I did get a bit of enjoyment when I wasn't doing anything like you know with my own life and I was kind of like oh well look they're doing shit as well our people don't like them so that's grand do you know and like a rant was, and relief kind of situation yeah, yeah. and I did recognise yeah and I did ah. recognise it in myself that it was because I was 
wasn't fulfilled myself and then ever since then I've been kind of saying like I just think that's people who are unhappy so I'm glad you as a professional have been able to confirm that's exactly why people do it because they're not happy in themselves but I do think and this isn't a pushback on anything that you're saying I think when you say things like there's jealousy involved and there's spite and there's that I think that trivializes a little bit because a person who is giving abuse to another person online will never mm-hmm. see that in themselves. So they're like, well, I'm not jealous of you. I wouldn't want that. And you're mm-hmm. like, no, it goes deeper. You're like, no, no. It's <laughs> not that you like want you want yeah. what I have. It's the, it's, it's, it's the, there's a, like a bottom line kind of thing. Like it's it's a, there is. Like there's, two, there's two ways you can view this. One is that it's kind of fully conscious and then the other is that it's kind of unconscious. Yeah. And, and, and the conscious piece is like, okay, so let's say that your podcast is, I, I, I don't know, you get like, tickets to VIP events, you know, and you get to get travel for free or, you know, you get sent places like on a very surface conscious level, I kind of go, Jesus, I'm really jealous. I'd love to be able to go to, I don't know, Tenerife or Spain or whatever for a week all paid for. That's amazing. They get that. Right. And so that's a very obvious thing that I'm jealous about. Right. But I'm only ever seeing the end product. I don't see the fact that you guys had to start the podcast when it was only like maybe family members listening and it's grown and I don't see any of that or the hardship or trying to get guests or whatever the case might be. I see the end product and that makes me jealous. But then there's the unconscious piece, which is that what are you doing to remind me of my position in life? And if people aren't happy and they see people doing well, that sometimes is not very helpful for them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the more that your podcast grows, and I'm sure when you guys started out, you're probably like, oh God, a little bit anxious, trying to get the followers, trying to get listeners and different things. And as it's become more successful, you become happier in yourselves. You become happier for other people around you as yeah. well who are also mm-hmm. doing that well. That is so, that's so funny because I think when we started, Jen had a following online, I had a following online, but they were a lot smaller than they are now. Mm. And when we started the podcast, we kind of just went into it going, here, listen, we'll give it a go. If it's shite, it's shite. And we'll see how we get on. And here we are like four and a half years later and we're both very happy. But I've noticed massive changes in you mm-hmm. and massive changes in myself about the way that I view other people's success. Yeah, definitely. And I was always a very kind of pro. And I, and I do think it's a lot to do with like, how you grew up, what you grew like, what mm. kind of environment you were in, what way your parents were towards you, towards success, you know, all that other kind of stuff. But I've always been very, like, I think it's natural for your first reaction to be like, for fuck's sake. Yeah, I do think that's quite a natural thing because you're like, I'd love to be in the Bahamas mm-hmm. with yeah. with Ediad. Do you know what I mean? Who flown me first class for whatever. But then the second, like nowadays, whether it's back in the day, I'd be like, for fuck's sake, raging about it. Now I'm literally like, good for her. And I just move on. Like, move and it on. just, yeah, it's easier to I thought that was more about maturing. But, and that's why it never really made sense to me that there's actually more, there is more abuse online between millennial women than there is between Gen Z. Mm. I think as well that like w- w- one of the things that tends to occur is, is in um, kind of m- more advanced psychotherapy, you, you, you look at a process that's called cognitive rumination, right? And what that means is kind of the, the, the process of how we ruminate, how our thoughts go round and round in our head. And, and for a lot of people, what they tend to do is they make kind of what are called comparative attributions, right? So if you're feeling a bit kind of crap in yourself or a little bit low, right? The, the depressed or low mind, I don't mean depressed in terms of like really clinically depressed, but people who are feeling a little bit low in themselves or feeling down, they ask questions to try and feel like they're doing something about it, okay? So for example, let's say that I'm scrolling Instagram and I see you two guys and your followers, your following is growing and you're doing really well. Like I kind of might say, how come they're happy and I'm not happy? Or how come they're successful and I'm not successful? Okay. And the difficulty is that by me asking that question, I feel like I'm kind of doing something about it. Right. But when I feel down, I don't have reflective capacity. It turns more into rumination. And so what happens is the process is that I ask the question. It's kind of like, so why are they happy and I'm not happy? Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe it's because X, Y, and Z. And I'm only kind of half answering it. And it always ends up with kind of a half answer and a negative self-referential content that depresses me even more. So, for example, I look at you guys. 
why are they happy and I'm not happy? Oh, they have their podcast and you know they're doing this, that, and the other thing, and I'm not doing this, and I, oh, maybe I should do more. Why am I doing more? I'm going to crap at this. And you can see that the kind of rhetoric is turning more negative, and my mood is getting down. I go, ah, heck, it doesn't matter. I'll move on to another question. Well, why is our podcast successful and I'm not successful? Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so. And it I goes go around and around, like, yeah. Exactly. And I think that social media reminds us of that process and, and encourages us to engage in that process as well, because you're always seeing people like who are doing better. Yeah. Like, no one puts up a post saying, we lost 5,000 followers today. You know what I mean? Like, mm. yeah. That's yeah. so true. Like, they really don't. And I know, like, there's that real, like, this is a highlight reel. And I yeah. get that. I yeah. get why people like to be like, you know, this isn't my everyday and whatever, but it is... I think that also takes, you do have to have a bit of like an adult mindset when it comes to that being like, I know for a fact that you were probably bought, like your kid wouldn't go to sleep last night. You were fed up. You couldn't get up to do the content that you probably had planned to do with whatever brand. Like, mm. but my, mm. I suppose my thing is how to, because I think, as you said, it's a slippery slope. You start off with an anonymous profile, kind of reading stuff and you're kind of going, <laughs> you know, you're snickering to yourself. Then you start commenting. Then after you start commenting, you kind of almost start obsessing. And it just, mm. I don't think it gets any better until you have. Actually addressed. Addressed. Yeah, yeah. Address something within yourself. I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything normal about abusing people online. And I think the, I think the issue with like forums is that they try to normalize it very badly. Like mm. it's like, mm. they, it's. They feel like they're really because they found their people before they the because just, they found a community. Yeah, the justification yeah. is really like they're really trying to push that narrative. Yeah, well, like. and I find that always there's those kind of comments being like, "Well, I don't mind like if there's something being called out that's really you know, obviously I don't mind that." But I'm also like, "Is that your job? <laughs> <laughs> really, your place?" Like. No, but I'm like, you know, like things are provocative and they're evocative, aren't they? So when you do things yeah. on purpose, like for instance, if you're gone and find a community, my th the way that as a person online who has had their fair share of abuse, and Jen, you'd be the same, and I'm sure Connell, you've had you've had messages too because that is Instagram and that is mm -hmm. being online. Like when you get abuse, my the only way that I can cope with it, and this is something that I've learned. And it's what works for me. And I don't feel like I should have to do it any other way because this is what works for me is I just completely ignore it. So what that has in turn done for me is that I have forgotten that there is forums dedicated to me. Mm -hmm. I have forgotten that there is people out there actively hating me. And it's mm -hmm. allowed me to live, to be on this podcast and be authentic. And it's allowed me to kind of deal with it. But then every so often, you know, a troll will get doxxed. And it happens a lot more often, you know, the messages will go around the group chat, everyone online will block them and you'll kind of, you'll almost get that ping where you're going, Jesus Christ, I forgot that people give a fuck about me. Yeah, yeah. Or I forgot that I'm being perceived, I suppose. So it's like how, first of all, I have two questions. As a person online, what is the best way to deal with it? And then as a person who might be listening to this, who might have either taken part or has those kind of behaviours and wants to genuinely change that about themselves. Like, I do know a lot of people that can, that feel like they can't help themselves, but get involved when they see mm. kind of, I suppose, online abusive stuff. So those mm. would be my, like, obviously you're not going to be able to sum it up. And <laughs> but it'd be nice to hear from you. Like, what are, like, what are the ways, I suppose, that people can almost get themselves, get themselves feeling a bit better. Or maybe to get them yeah. to even just look at themselves, yeah. to even consider that they might be the problem rather yeah. than, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so do, do you mean how do people who are on the receiving end deal with it? Or Both. how do people who are engaging with it? Both. Both. So people so, who are on the receiving end, I think, is because it's something that, I, you know, as I said, I found that just ignoring, like literally ignoring everything is the only way that mm. has made me feel and it doesn't even matter. As I said, I will skim a message now. If I see anything slightly abusive, I'll block it. I don't, I, I'll delete it and I'll block the person immediately because I don't need to take that in. I don't need to delve into what that message is. Back in the day, I might have screenshotted it, sent it to my friends. We'd all kind of pick it apart or have a laugh at it. But I'd mm. still think about it. I, mm. That would be me thinking about it longer than I needed to. Weighed down for yeah. a couple of days. For a couple after. of days after yeah. going, Jesus, that was fucked up. Or, you know, mm. and then you're almost bringing mm. it to your friends to be like, isn't this so fucked up? But then they're like, why is someone writing that about you? Yeah. Like the shock that I've, the shock out of people when they find things or they hear things. And it's awful. Like it's really, mm. really 
hard to read stuff about your friends or read stuff about people that you're close to too. So I suppose that was the question. It's more like how to deal with it being on the receiving end, but also if you're somebody who has a tendency to be abusive online, how to deal with that also. Yeah. So on the receiving end of it, I think it's important to remember that, you know, for as long as civilization has existed, there's been hecklers. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you if you go back to kind of ancient Greece, you know, people giving speeches in the marketplace, people were heckling them and challenging them and saying bad things about them. And, and, and there's a certain amount of that that's, you know, kind of uh, in a smear campaigns that have been run through politics and through tribalism and different things like that, that is just normal. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of, you know, couch it in the sense that like this is human nature to a large extent. Um, I also think if you're on the receiving end of you've got a couple of options. One is, as you said, block it. Um, and I think there's no harm in doing that because I think that if I was walking down the street and people were, you know, every fourth person I passed was giving me abuse, I'd probably stop going outside my house. You know what I mean? Because I'd just be like, this is maybe a bit too much. So I think blocking it is a good is, is a good way of dealing with it. Um, I also think it's important to kind of look at if it's having a really negative impact, what exactly is it that they're saying that's having a negative impact on you? And I think that it probably, and again, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, Jumping to conclusions here about you because you know I I I don't I don't know your your journey very well obviously but you know it, it's a lot easier to take those negative comments to heart when you're less successful and I think that the more successful you become the more established you become and the more uh, confident you become so those negative comments don't tend to weigh you down as much and there's also a certain amount of research that shows that you know we're far more prone to be affected by negative comments than positive comments uh, like in a lot of relationship research they look at that for every one negative comment you make about your partner you need to make about nine positives to kind of cancel it out so as humans we're far more prone to look for them and they tend to make a little bit more of an impact. So I, I think blocking it is a good example. I also think that it's important that when someone says something negative about you, to come back to yourself and say, well, what am I trying to do? What's my goal? What's my purpose? What's my direction? What are my values? And you know, what am I trying to work to build? And to come back to yourself and focus on your own journey. And you know, take what they've said, acknowledge that you're hurt, acknowledge that you're upset, but then say, well, like, that's them on their journey. I'm on my journey. And Am I going to let them knock me off the horse? And if you do get knocked off the horse, just get back on and keep following your own journey um, rather than kind of getting off and kind of going, Jesus, I really need to kind of focus on this now for a long time and let it dwell. Um, that'd be my advice to people who are on the receiving end of it. And, and, and also try and surround yourself with people who are far more positive. And the, the, the problem that people face is that the, the road to success can sometimes be a lonely one because as you become a little bit more successful, you know, you, you tend to, you might have, you know, less and less in common with people who you've grown up with or they might not understand your journey or you might be doing different things. So that, 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 that can be troubling, but it's important to surround yourself with people who understand what you're trying to do as well mm -hmm. and vice versa. Yeah. Um, to your second question, which is what to say to people who are kind of giving out negative comments online. You know, I, I, I was surprised to learn um, a couple of years ago, there's a website called, I think, a thing like that, which is basically forums devoted to kind of hating on Irish influencers and celebrities and different things like that. You know, um, I, I think it's worth asking yourself you know, do, do you feel lost in your own life or are you happy in what you're doing, what you have? And so there's a big question between being happy in life versus happy with life in, in the sense that like I might have a Ferrari, a mansion, a pool, you know, and all this kind of stuff, but I might not be happy in life in who I am. And what you'll find is a lot of people who are engaging in that kind of trollish kind of bullying behavior online, they're not happy with what's going on for themselves. And they need to sit down and say like, where in, in like this might make me feel good short term but yeah. where is it actually bringing me yeah what am i actually going to get out of this and in a year's time if i continue to leave an abusive comment or 10 every day on this person's page what changes about my life because this isn't actually slowing them down and am i more focused on the other person and less on myself um, and take responsibility and accountability for your own life and where you're going rather than trying to kind of bring other people down and yeah. whether or not that's a slightly Irish begrudgery um, kind of in, inbuilt into our psyche as well, I don't know, but important for people to recognise that. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you believe that we're a nation of begrudgers or is there anything in particular about certain... Because you always hear, oh, Ireland's full of begrudgers, mm -hmm. do you know, like that, yeah. that mm -hmm. age-old classic. Is there any scientific or, like, 
and I, this is putting you on the spot now if there's no one just saying no there's no one general <laughs> <laughs> have you noticed trends in certain societies where there might be more begrudgery in one kind of place yeah. over another like is there any kind of proof to the fact that Ireland's full of begrudgers um, I, I don't know if there's any proof um, to say it um, you definitely tend to encounter people who engage in begrudgery a lot in Ireland but I, I don't know enough about other cultures to say that doesn't exist in other cultures too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what you'll often find is that when someone tries to elevate themselves above their status, um, you know, or, you know, in inverted commas, class or whatever way you want to see it, you know, you, you can be seen as leaving people behind. So if I grew up in an area where, you know, the, 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 the expectation is you get a degree and you get a job, right? And that's kind of the standard that's expected. Mm-hmm. Well, if I go on and, and, you know, I, I do a doctorate or I set up a business and the business does very well. Like I'm kind of doing above what's expected, right? And the people who are doing what is expected might kind of think, oh God, isn't he great? Some of them will think, oh, isn't he great for going above and beyond what's expected? Whereas other people might kind of go, why isn't he happy doing what I'm doing? Yeah. And why, does he, why does he think he's better than us for doing extra? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think that it's not so much that it's an Irish thing. I think that there's a certain amount of... Uh, you you will you'll never be liked by everybody mm-hmm. um you know everyone's cup of tea is a mug kind of thing um so i i think there's a certain amount of kind of recognizing that no matter what you do people are going to dislike you and you're going to be begrudged um but i, I would encourage you to kind of pity the begrudges and focus on yourself i think the class thing that you said is so interesting because i find that for ireland that doesn't really have a class system say like the british do right mm-hmm. closest neighbors to us we are obsessed mm-hmm with class mm. and it is something that consistently comes up all the time where it's like you can't mention that you might have been to college she, she thinks she's great she's been to college you can't mention something without someone like it triggering something in them oh, it's, like, it's like constant you can't like it's like if you are educated or if you have maybe a different like if you've been somewhere if you've been on say let's say a luxury holiday mm. and you're talking about mm. that luxury holiday it's seen as condescending or bragging or boasting yeah. or notions. notions of her or, mm. you know, and it always seems to kind of come back to that thing for, for a country that doesn't really have, as I said, as, as established a class system. Cause you can only really like, well, not, you can only really compare it to the Brits, but you know, there's mm. a reason for that too. You know, we'll go back, we'll do the, we'll do the wars again. But I find that <laughs> really maddening that as a nation we are really like really focused on that really really like there's a real kind of you know if you've had a degree or if you've done x or if you've done y or if you're living your life a certain way or whatever car you drive like there's a reason why I think there's more convertibles bought in Ireland than anywhere else in the world for like per capita and for like the weather or something Mm. like that something fucking insane or we spent we like you know Irish women spend more money on fake tan than anyone else in in Europe you know Stuff like that. There's loads of like these different like little micro things. We're obsessed with beauty. We're obsessed with um, luxury purchasing. Something that didn't really suffer too much in the recession, funnily enough, is luxury purchasing. Mm. Irish mm. people still found a way to made it, make it happen versus somewhere like the UK that was like the first thing that went off people's lists. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, yeah. I think, I think if, if, if you zoom out and take a macro look at Ireland, like Ireland as a country is nouveau riche. It's very new money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like in England, if you look at England, Germany, France, Spain, like you've had an aristocracy dating back over the yeah. last thousand years. And so the class system has been very well established in, in those countries to a certain extent. Uh, Ireland has never really had that. Like there's, I mean, like my, my grandparents would have went to school with no shoes on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's, it's really only in the last, I, I would say, 30 years that anyone in Ireland has actually had any disposable income. Yeah. Um, like, I, I don't know about you, but my, my, my parents would have grown up, um, like, there was no restaurants that you went to. Like, there was no kind of going into the shop to get a breakfast roll and a, a yeah. Coke and chill out. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, what you had is what you had, and there was nothing else. And if you didn't if you didn't use it, there was no there was no follow-up. So, yeah. where, whereas, like, it, it's like, if I, if, I, if I give you a million euro today, right now, if I give it to 10 people, you're probably going to find that around seven of them are going to go out and absolutely splurge that because they won't know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, th- I think a lot of it is the fact that like we've never had it before and it's all of a sudden we're getting it um, and, and people just don't know what to do with it. 
Um, but I think people are becoming a little bit more financially literate um, because there's a little bit more emphasis on that now. But they're not skills that are taught in schools. They're something that you have to learn by yourself. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think that's where we always fall down. <laughs> yeah, the education system. Um, Connor, before we let you go, what can people expect to find on your social media? You have an Instagram page. Do you give little insights? Give us a little rundown of your social medias to get people to go over and follow you. Yeah, so um, at cognitive underscore Connell is the, is the social media on Instagram. Um, it's a combination of things around insights into why we do what we do for specific human behaviours. There's also a breakdown of mental health disorders. So I do certain posts on how health anxiety works, how OCD works, how depression works on a day-to-day level. And then there's posts on... Um, suppose kind of childhood incidents and how parents affect our relationships as we grow up and how our childhood affects our capacity to parent as well Um, and and they'd be kind of the three main kind of core themes that the page would focus on Uh, and then a little bit about kind of taking responsibility how to kind of develop a value goal system and direction and how to kind of stick to that and ultimately take responsibility for your own life Mm. Um, brilliant tell us a little bit like uh, sorry so your overall I know we talked about it like your Instagram is obviously bringing awareness like are you offering services or is it just more awareness and information like what is what's the goal shall we say the goal at the moment is I really believe that everybody should be entitled to a high quality uh, everyone should be entitled to high quality access to mental health care and I think at the moment in Ireland that we, we can't do that and that's one of the reasons that I probably won't leave the public service because I believe that just because you don't have the money for it doesn't mean you should be entitled to it. Um, and so I, I do a depression, OCD and anxiety clinic uh, through the public service um, because I believe that people should have access to it. The goal of the page longer term is to try and develop a suite of workshops and seminars for people who can't afford one-to-one psychotherapy uh, to be able to access similar quality of care. So you might have a class of 30 to 50 people that do a five-week workshop um, you know, on how to kind of, you know, tips and tricks to overcome low mood or tips and tricks to overcome health anxiety or whatever that might, whatever the disorder might be so that they can get access to it. Um, that That's the long-term goal is to kind of build that and also spread awareness and, and hope that through doing more posts around childhood and how it influences their life, that parents can take a step back and recognize that their childhood has a direct impact on the way they parent their children. And this is why we end up with the exact same problems every single generation, because people are not looking at what happened to them. They're not looking at the impact that is and the impact that that has on their children. (laughs) Um, And and that's really one of the long-term goals. And that's why working in the perinatal service is... um, gives me tremendous existential value because it's a bit of a two for one deal. You treat the mammy, the mammy not has the legacy impact then to pass on to the baby. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I, I, I kind of, well, I, I like babies anyway. I, you know, it, it's great to be able to work with them because you really feel that the baby's being protected and it's, it's one less thing that the next generation has to worry about. Yeah. No, it is really making a difference. And then obviously you have your website and your private clinic as well. So if anybody mm. wants to do, book you privately they can do that Um, I presume you take questions and stuff like that on your Instagram if anybody had any queries after the episode so I will link all of those in the show notes main call to action is the Instagram page at cognitive underscore Connell and then cbtsolutions.ie for people who are looking for one to one and I am looking uh, at the moment at expanding uh, the private practice a little bit more Um, at the moment I'm working with one clinical psychologist and hoping that one or two more might be coming on to help reduce the waiting list um, so watch, watch this space perfect amazing. brilliant that's amazing Connell thanks a million for taking the time out but this actually went way over we kind of said about a half an hour and yeah. <laughs> it was just it was so interesting to kind of like you know the questions just come up as you're having the conversation so I think uh, it's so important what you're doing though yeah. I think you're like and it's making a big difference especially when you talk about childhood trauma yeah. and where people may not even realise mm. where certain things come, come from, from and yeah. like to start that healing and like you say, break the cycle for the next generation and stuff like that. It is just so important. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and one thing just before we wrap up yeah. as well is just, just remember that like when you when you think about a child, when you think about someone who's two to, to 10 years old, like you, as the parent, you are so powerful in their world and they depend on you for everything. 
And any major criticism or any kind of harsh punishment really impacts them. And just to remember, like, they're little people with their own thoughts, emotions and feelings that kind of depend on you for everything. So it, it, it's it's not about being overly kind to them, but it's about being fair with them as well. Yeah. Um, and because you, you, you're trying to always straddle the line between kind of empathy, compassion, development, but also discipline. And, and, and you're not always going to get it right, but it's important that you try. And don't don't forget that about them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. God, that's, that's I know so, they're no, so cute. Yeah, like I have a little three-year-old, and like he can he can be a lot sometimes. So and it does mm. like something that I do like when I'm fi- finding a bit overwhelmed, like to myself, just to kind of regulate myself or bring myself back down to earth. You know, when I'm really overstimulated. I'd be mm. just like, I just need to think about when he's like 50 and I'm going to want to come back to when he was a little three-year-old, you know what I mean? To just cry and, like, th- those little <laughs> mechanisms are things that I have to use sometimes because he's just, he's a mentaler. Yeah, he's a wild thing. <laughs> yeah, he's a wild thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, again, thanks a million so much for, like... Like I've learned loads yeah. this episode. It's been really informative. So um it links for Connell will be down below in the show notes. And Connell again, thanks a million. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So good. So good. I feel great now. Yeah. So do I. I feel really good after that. I wasn't. I wasn't too sure what to expect. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're always like that when we go into like, as we said, not interviews. When we go into chats with people that we don't have about actual professionals. Yeah, that's what I say. It's like, how do we say this? People yeah. that aren't our friends. I was like, no, because I wouldn't want to say that either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, he is now a friend, but um, yeah. I just think that what he's doing is so. It's important and it's, it's making so a difference. important yeah. and it's making a difference. And I just think the way that he speaks is so mm-hmm. accessible as well. Yeah, so definitely. Definitely yeah, exactly. onto his profile. Let's let's galvanize people. Yeah, exactly. Let's bring them to a spot where um, everyone can learn. Exactly. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, before we go, let's go back to usual house rules. Uh-huh. Uh, house business. Have you got an unpopular opinion before we go? Of course I do. <laughs> Listen to me carefully because I'm going to say this once. Mm-hmm. Chips in a bowl or chips in a plate. Stop putting chips into trolleys, into little pots, into little copper ditties. That look like deep fry baskets. Stop it. Okay. I never want to see one of them yisk tiger trolley yolks floating up to my table ever again. Mm. Waste of space. I've seen chips in a cocktail glass. Put the chips in a bowl or on a plate. It is getting a bit silly, isn't it? It's too much airflow. Don't get freezing. So much shit going on. I don't want to eat it out of that. That's a shit portion, by the way. The only exception, and I know you're going to slag me for this because you always slag me about me Eddie's. The only exception is a red basket in Eddie's. A basket I can take, right? No, but it's, a diner, it's an American diner. They've it's a been diner like that. thing. That's what I mean. I'm like, it's Red Robin. It's bottomless yeah. fries. It's all those other kind of things. It's like, that's fine. I can deal with a basket and I can deal with a bag of chips. Okay. But I'm not dealing with like, no, the essentially a chamber pot, a miniature chamber pot. These new things. Yeah, I know. And a trolley. Get out of here. I know. All these other ways. Just put the chips in the bowl. You're charging me a fiver for them anyway. Yeah. Give me a portion. 
Do it properly. They cost you. They cost you zero. They're actually they're probably so they're the cheapest thing on the menu. They're the most profitable thing going yeah. on. Yeah. Do you know? So like, just be normal. You're not losing out because you've given me one extra sport. They're deep fried bidets. Calm the, down. They're bidets. Bidets. You know, you've uh, enough of them banging around. Right. That's. I. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I agree with you there. Um, have you got a stomper before we go? I do. Carla's stomper of the week. It's a specific stomper, but it is a stomper nonetheless. Um, is this? Yes, cool. Yes, so uh, this is Motion by Ty Dolla Sign. I could listen to him sing all day. I just... And it's very I Beat the Beach kind of chilling. It is, vibe. yeah. It's very daytime drinks by the way. Yes! Something takes on now when we dancing. And a bit of a phone party. It's while you walk up to the bar. Stools in the pool. At the stools in the pool. At the bar that's serving you while you're sick. It's a weird sensation. Yeah. But this is playing in the background. But you know it's there. And the DJ box looks like something out of Flintstones. Yes. Yeah. Alright. Alright. It's nice. Yeah. I like it. That's good. Uh, lads, thanks very much for listening. We love you very much. We hope you enjoyed. Any questions? Shoot us a DM or obviously if you have any questions for Connell, you can do him a DM on the Instagram. Uh, again, the lobby link below. We hope you enjoyed and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.